been a lot of twists and turns in the Orioles lease negotiations over the last few weeks. But somehow we sit here on December 13th and there's no lease signed yet. The deadline is in about two weeks. So what's going on now? What's going to happen next? We'll get to that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to discuss the current lease situation. Now, this is actually going to be part one of a two-parter. We got back-to-back episodes, one dropping here on Wednesday night, the 13th, and the next one coming out on Thursday, December 14th. So look out for that one as well. We'll have two different guests. Today's guest is Hayes Gardner. He has been covering the lease negotiations for the Baltimore Sun, a great writer over there who's been on top of this story this entire time. And Hayes is going to join us, and we're going to talk about what happened over the last week, why there was a tentative agreement, why it was shut down, what Governor Wes Moore is saying, what John Angelos is not saying, and what the future holds for this lease, especially if they don't get a long-term deal done by the deadline on December 31st. Really good conversation with Hayes Gardner, who had just gotten back from speaking with Governor Wes Moore. But off the top here, I want to do a little bit of Orioles news and notes just before we get to that conversation, just to keep you updated. If you want to hear more about the Orioles, remember we did a couple of mailbag episodes earlier this week, a regular mailbag on Monday, and then we did a special live mailbag on Tuesday on the YouTube channel, and it is available as a video and as a podcast. Make sure to go and check those out. As always, subscribe wherever you listen. Leave a five-star rating and a review if you can. And make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles YouTube page. But just a couple of news and notes here to get to. Orioles haven't made any moves, right, since we last talked. But there's been some somewhat interesting things going on around baseball that may have some sort of impact on the Orioles. The first one is another starting pitcher is off the board, and that is Seth Lugo, who signed a three-year, $45 million contract with the Kansas City Royals earlier this week. Now, Lugo was a guy who I had certainly targeted for the Orioles to go get, 34-year-old right-handed pitcher who spent last season with the San Diego Padres, had a pretty good year, and then opted out of his deal to become a free agent again, and it was a good move. He ended up making more money, although he now plays for the Royals instead of the Padres, but he did make a little bit more. Now, Lugo was a guy who was on my list, right, my top 10 list that I did for free agent starting pitching wish list for the Orioles earlier this offseason. Make sure to go back and check out that episode as well, but Lugo was an interesting case because he had been a reliever, middle reliever, then kind of a setup high leverage guy for the New York Mets for like five seasons. He started out with the Mets as a starter, then quickly went to the bullpen and kind of was in the pen for multiple years. Then he found his way as a free agent last offseason to the Padres and the Padres signed him as a starter. They said, we think we can stretch him back out and he can be an effective starter. And he was. Now, he didn't throw 200 innings or anything, but he had a really good year in 2023 with San Diego and mostly stayed healthy as well, and he parlayed that into a three-year, $45 million contract. Now, the Royals are not good, but the reports had continued to be the Royals are very aggressive in the starting pitching market this offseason, and they went and got Lugo. Now, how this impacts the Orioles is Seth Lugo got $15 million a year, and he got a three-year contract. He's a guy who 
yeah, was good, but is also 34 years old and has really only been a good starter for one season of his big league career. He's getting three and 45. 15 million per year is not a whole lot for a starting pitcher, right? The Orioles just signed Craig Kimbrell, a closer, for 13 million a year. Kyle Gibson went to the Cardinals and got 12 million for the year. So 15 million per year, not a lot for a solid starting pitcher. The Orioles should be prepared to pay that or even more if they want to sign someone in free agency. But what it does tell me is Seth Lugo is getting a three-year deal. The Orioles have shown over the last couple of years they just aren't willing to give out a multi-year deal. Now, I had heard, and the O's have talked about this, that they have had some at least two-year offers out there to players that haven't been accepted, but I don't know if they've had any three-year offers out there, and it seems like it's going to take three or four years to really get any of the free agent pitchers that are out there. So what this Seth Lugo deal shows me is that I don't think the Orioles are playing anywhere near the free agent, or at least the top of the free agent starting pitching market. And I talked about this on Tuesday's mailbag episode. I just, I don't think it's happening. Now, I still think if they don't make a trade, they will sign some sort of veteran on a one-year deal, you know, 12, 13 million to be number four, the number five in their rotation. I mentioned Hunjin Ryu on yesterday's episode. I'm going to kind of stick with him as a potential name, maybe a Michael Lorenzen type pitcher, some other guys out there for a one-year deal. But if they're looking for anybody better than that, it's not going to be free agency. It's just not going to happen. It's going to have to be a trade. And that takes us into the other piece of news, which is as of recording here on Wednesday night, deal has not been finalized, but it looks like the Rays are going to trade Tyler Glass now to the Dodgers. Now, Glass now had one year for $25 million left on his deal. Rays didn't want to pay that. Dodgers are more than happy to. It seems like Manuel Margot might also be going to the Dodgers, and the Rays are going to get a couple of prospects, including Ryan Pepio, starting pitching prospect, who did debut for the Dodgers this season and will probably turn into an awesome starter in Tampa Bay. But I don't really think the Orioles were in on Glass now. A, I don't think they wanted to pay a pitcher $25 million. And B, I don't think the Rays would have wanted to trade Glasnell to the Orioles in division. And I don't think the O's would have wanted to trade some of their top prospects in division to the Rays because they know the Rays would have utilized them the best and they would have been really good and probably hurt the Orioles for years to come. But what I will say is the Dodgers were very much in on Dylan Cease in trade negotiations. If they are going to trade for Tyler Glasnell, and we also learned on Wednesday that the Dodgers are in serious talks with Yamamoto to maybe sign him as well, even after giving all that money, although it was deferred, to Shohei Otani, and they are really pushing hard to sign Yamamoto. If they get Yamamoto and Glass now, I would think they're most likely done in terms of the starting pitching market this offseason. You take the Dodgers out, knowing that the Reds were kind of scared away by what the White Sox were asking for Dylan Cease, that kind of brings it down to the Orioles and maybe the Braves, And we had also heard that the Braves were kind of backing off a bit in the Dylan Cease talk. So maybe, just maybe, if the Dodgers do make this glass now deal, the Orioles have a better shot and a clearer path to hopefully going and getting Dylan Cease in a trade with the White Sox this offseason. But that's all the moves and all the good stuff about the offseason that I want to be talking about. But unfortunately, because the actions of John Angelos and Governor Wes Moore and everyone in between, we are 18 days away from the deadline of the Orioles lease being up for Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And there is still not a new deal. We thought we had one last week. Turns out it was shut down for for fairly good reason. So I wanted to bring in an expert to talk about it. He is Hayes Gardner. He has been covering all of this lease negotiations for the Baltimore Sun. He was chatting with Governor Westmore today on Wednesday, 
right before we join the podcast. And we talk about what's going on with the lease, what the holdup has been, and what the future will be specifically what's going to happen, right? If they don't get a long-term deal done by December 31st, that is coming up here with Hayes Gardner of the Baltimore Sun right after this. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. You can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we welcome in Hayes Gardner to the podcast for the first time, a writer for the Baltimore Sun who's been doing a fantastic job covering everything going on with the Orioles lease situation and all surrounding it over the past few weeks, months, years, kind of for some of this. And uh, Hayes, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. I appreciate it. So this continues to be a, a fluid situation with the Orioles lease. And right now we are about two weeks from the deadline, which is December 31st of 2023 to get a lease done. I think the first question that people want answered is what would happen? This is the question I continue to get on this podcast. What would happen if there is no long-term deal by December 31st? I know you had written something about a possibility. I know on Wednesday, Governor Westmore had kind of shot that down a little bit so what would happen if there's nothing long term and we get to january 1st well that's a question that that governor moore was asked today um um what what happens if, if that's not done um and well the, the, the first answer would be governor moore's like we're gonna get it done so so it's not a question worth asking what would, would be his first response um given that it's taken years because it really Negotiations began years ago, began under Governor Hogan and the former state authority chair, Tom Kelso, and they've continued this year, obviously, with a new governor and uh, a new state authority chair. Um, but, but given the, the years-long history, it's a, it's a fair question for, for people to ask, like, what happens on January 1 when this lease that's been in place since Canada Yards opened, opens is no longer uh, in place? Um, it was asked of uh, state authority executive director Michael Friends last week. And, and he acknowledges the hypothetical question, and he mentioned that there could be a month-to-month -month lease um, in that scenario. But he, he did emphasize that's a hypothetical, and that's not what's likely to happen. Um, and, and Governor Moore, again, today really emphasized, like, we're going to get a long-term deal done. He doesn't want a short-term deal. He even mentioned um, the Wizards and the Capitals today in talking about why he wants a long-term deal. Um, but I mean, at a certain point, if there's not a deal in place, um, something has to happen. And one of the sides could play hardball um, and uh, say they're not going to agree to whatever terms are uh, being being tossed around. So there's, you know, there's there is always a scenario of that happening. The parties would say, no, like, we've been committed this whole time to making sure this deal gets done. Um, but th there could be a short term, uh, month to month thing, perhaps. I mean, it's easier to extend the current lease than it is to sign a new lease. A new lease, we need to go through multiple um, levels of approval, like formal state state approval from the state authority board and from the board of public works. 
Um, when the lease was extended a couple of years ago, I believe just the state authority board had to vote on it. So it would be easier to extend the current deal, but that's not what they want to do. So, so they're hoping that question is moot, but it's December 13th and uh, we're getting closer. And that question become, comes more and more uh, pressing each day, I guess. Yeah, and I know that last public works meeting was today on Wednesday, and I know you've reported and, and you know everybody that's talked about it said you know we could call an emergency meeting, we still can get these people together, yes. but I think we kind of hit like another benchmark a little bit in this. It's just like all right, if something's going to get done, they're going to have to you know it feels like scramble people together in the middle of the night um, to do right. something here. I, I will say it feels a little closer than it did a week ago, just because of your reporting at the Sun at multiple levels here that there was a tentative agreement. That had come out and then it was essentially shot down before Westmore and the government could say yes. So I, I think definitely the other big question that I've been getting is what was that main factor that the president of the Maryland Senate said not so fast and basically kind of stopped it in its tracks? You know, we're not sure how far along it was there, but stopped it in its tracks last week. Right. So the, the, the parties seem to have come to a deal finally, like the two sides agreed on things. Um, but I mean, you, you want approval from, from big players in Annapolis and Bill Ferguson is a very powerful legislative leader. He, his district includes Camden Yards, who's especially relevant to the discussion. Um, you know, he mentioned the David Rubenstein report and not as many words, but he, but he mentioned that, which obviously was a big deal, uh, less than a week ago. feels like, um, uh, a lot's happened, a lot's happened since then. Um, but he mentioned, he mentioned that Bloomberg report, um, and, that was part of it, but then the other part is the um, the ground lease component to the lease agreement to what was presented in the memorandum of understanding in September, um, and that's been a big. Um, I mean, that's been a big part of this discussion um, because there's one part of the lease is just the Orioles get to play at this ballpark and it'll be kept nice. There's going to be a ton of state money invested in it if they can agree to a long-term lease, which is. A big part of this but another really big part is the ground lease which is uh the memorandum outlined a 99 year ground lease um which would enable the orioles to develop the land around oriole park that's camden station it's the warehouse it's the parking lots right there um and that's valuable because they can um there's, there's a lot of profit to be made there if you do it correct if, if you do it you know if you do it well it also could, could be um uh, tough, tough to develop, but but I think that they feel like they can do a really cool thing there. Um, so that's what you know the Orioles have been wanting, and it was outlined in the memorandum. Bill Ferguson, uh, as he mentioned on Friday, um, isn't so sure he wants to attach that development to this lease agreement. He thinks they're kind of separate issues, um, and if it's public land, uh, it would it would be um, you know it would be leased to the Orioles. For 94 million dollars over 99 years um which 94 million might seem like a, a lot of money but over 99 years the, the value of money loses uh money loses value over time kind of like, like the Shohei otani contract uh but times times 100 um so economists i've spoken with have said it's not very much money the state's getting for that land um so that's been the that's been some of the sticking point is that ground lease um and, and the Orioles, you know, ability to develop the land around Oriole Park. 
and you can understand why that seems to be atop the list for John Angelos, because when he did that interview with the New York Times earlier during the season and he talked about the live work play, he's talked about the battery in Atlanta and how him and Governor Moore went down and checked out the Brave Stadium as and it was Governor Moore's like first trip outside the state was going to check out that stadium. And then, you know, what Angelos had talked about, you know, things that people have grabbed onto, like some of the more odd things he talked about, like building a school inside the warehouse and other things like that. But but that's what he seemingly wants is and and what people are, I think, upset with is the hey, all you got to do is sign this lease and you get six hundred million dollars earmarked from the state. And a lot of this is asking for more than that 600 million that is what i think has a lot of fans held up it's like you know what great we've got this you know bill in place it was signed the ravens are in the ravens are already announcing things and the orioles are asking for more and that's where yes it was held up on somewhat the you know state government side but really that seems to be at the fault of john angelos wanting even more than was already kind of earmarked for him and for the team yeah i understand um you know i understand that perspective because the Ravens signed their lease a year ago, and they got a six hundred million. Um, and the Orioles includes more than that. Um, one thing worth remembering is that there, there's a chance that if more is included in the Orioles lease, the Ravens could then ask for that. So there could be um, you know double the state assets that need to be um, you know you know given up uh, in anything that is included in the Orioles lease. Um, and then I will say that the idea of creating an entertainment district around a a sporting venue is becoming more and more common. Um, the the battery is like really the big example. If there's a reason uh, Angelos and Moore visited the battery is because it's kind of held up as the new standard. Like Camden Yards changed ballparks when it was built, and I've I've heard it said that the battery is the new, um, the you know it's next generation. Um, it's it's out. It's in the suburbs. Um, a lot of space you kind of create. Um, you know, an entertainment district there. Um, I think uh, it's nice when it, what's in the city. I think that, that's pretty cool. Uh, I do think they wanted to take, you know, elements of the battery, bring it to Camden Yards, even though that there's there's differences because um, one suburbs, one city, uh, one has, I mean, Atlanta doesn't have great public transit to bring people out there. So there's a lot of people driving. Um, but yeah, I mean, Angelos has seen that and likely wants to do what other, other teams have done. Um, but then you have people like um, Bill Ferguson pointing out that that's kind of a separate deal than a a stadium lease, and 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 hence the um, uh, the, the uh, stalemate, if you will. And you, and you mentioned the Ravens; um, they um, really had had a, it was a lot less of a process to get their lease signed. It took I think I think a span of several months to get it to get it ironed out. Um, and and they are starting to um, to use that to use the, those state funds to improve their improve their stadium soon. And then that that was kind of going to be my next question, but that that's pretty much the the Ravens thing here is like they get it done. You know, they have the the announcement. I know you were there to to cover it earlier this week about you know at least their first session of the plans to improve M&T Bank Stadium over the next three years and what they're doing there and. It kind of just feels like that in the shadow of that is the Orioles just kind of still waiting and waiting and waiting to get this done. And, and really, the last question is, you know, you've been covering this very closely. Like, 
where do you think, you know, if we do pass January 1st and, and who knows what will happen, maybe they just do a, a year extension, maybe they do a month to month, you know, they, they do something similar to what they did two years ago. But like, where do you think the the most pressure will, will start to come from once they, you know, not miss the deadline because they would still extend something like they're still going to have a home even if they right. go past January 1st. But where do you think a lot of that pressure really starts to come from? Does it come more from the Governor Moore side? Does it come more from the local government side? Does it come more from the Orioles? Like, at some point, do they, does one side start to bully the other? Like, I'm not really sure where this goes if they miss January 1st. What then really propels them to get it done? Right. Um, so starting with the, the the Ravens improvements, you know, one, you know, one drawback from the Orioles side, obviously they want to get this these development rights. Because there's a lot of revenue to be made there and it would you know it would, it would revitalize that area and they could create another revenue stream so they want to do that but the longer this draws out you know governor moore says it won't it won't happen but if this takes years the orioles cannot access the 600 million so that's a powerful chip that the on the governor's side is like we have 600 million dollars waiting for you now historically in stadium dealings between teams and um you know a city or a state it's often the um generally speaking and a lot of people have studied this will probably agree the the, the teams often wield the power because they, they have the 600 million is a very powerful bargaining chip but really the the, the ultimate bargaining chip um is is, is the, the the boogeyman of a team that could leave um and so and, you know governor moore mentioned alluded to the DC teams potentially leaving DC to go to, to go to Virginia, which is just a few miles away. It's not the same as a, a team really leaving like the Oakland A's leaving, but that, I mean, it's a powerful thing because if you're an elected leader and you lose the team, I mean, I, I don't know anything about politics in Oakland, but I would imagine the Oakland mayor is, is, is not doing well in polls right now because the, the athletics are leaving. Um, despite the fact that a lot of research shows it's not, um, you know, maybe the best uh, use of taxpayer money to put a bunch of money towards a stadium. But if you lose a team, it, it would be very bad. Now, it's almost not worth discussing because there's no work. Like the Orioles are not going to leave. Uh, right. Angels, I, I, Angels have said they're not going to leave. Uh, the governor, the mayor, they, they've all stated they're, they're not going to leave. And I'm not sure if there's somewhere to go that would be better than, than Baltimore. Beautiful stadium, you know, one of the most iconic stadiums in the, in the country. A, bunch, a big pot of money waiting uh, to improve that stadium. Um, obviously, a lot of history here. Um, so it's it, it's not going to happen, but it's it remains a strong bargaining chip. So um, that could be a, a powerful uh, discussion point for them. The pressure will come. I mean, the, the public pressure is kind of placed on, on both of them because a lot of people are upset with Angelos for, for, for a multitude of reasons. But Governor Morris... It's been one of the biggest talking points of this, the first year of, of his time in office is this. And, and if he were to not, you know, especially today, stating we're going to get this done um, before the end of the year, for him to not do that would would look bad. So he'll get a lot of pressure from the public for having not done this. Um, so, I mean, pressure really fell on both sides. And, uh, you know, we're not in the negotiations room, negotiation room with them. Um, but I could see either party... Um, you know, there, there's certain things they could say to try to, you know, get their portion of the deal done. I, I do think it will probably not um, go to January. And I say that 
in, in part because of how serious Westmore was today about it, it'd be a bad look if it, if it went to January after you know his remarks today. But if the deal isn't there, he, there always is there always is the option to extend it and and keep this going, which really no one would love. But I mean, it, it, it's an it, it remains an option to the long term deal signed. Yeah, it, it's funny because like, you know, if they do miss the December 31st, again, they will extend something, even if it's the current lease and they will have a place to play next year. But it's almost like, say they do a, another one year extension. We just sit here and we're like, do we have to go through this for a whole another 365 days while they continue to negotiate? I think that's a, a whole nother part of this that uh, maybe we'll, we'll get to again if we get to that point in January. But Hayes, thank you so much uh, for joining the show. Thank you so much for your coverage. Let everybody know where they can find you, find your work as you continue to cover this Orioles lease story. Sure. Thanks for having me on. It was good to talk with you, Connor. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Hayes Gardner. And you can find all my work on BaltimoreSun.com. So our thanks again to Hayes Gardner of the Baltimore Sun for joining us to talk about all of these lease negotiations and the situation here. And really wanted to focus on kind of what could happen next, right? But this is just part one of a two-part talk about the lease. We're going to be back tomorrow with one more episode of the podcast for this week unless more news drops. And we're going to have another reporter on who's been covering this very closely. That is Pamela Wood, who has been covering a lot of these lease negotiations over at the Baltimore Banner. And she's going to join us on tomorrow's episode to go deeper into really what has happened so far, the role that John Angelos has played in all of this, and more of a look at, okay, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where there is still no lease two weeks away from the deadline? That's coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb. And this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, everywhere.